So if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Mark together. We've got this reading plan, and we're reading together, probably about five minutes of reading a day, and then Charlie's been, been preaching through Mark every day or every week. Um, one of the coolest things about joining together in a book is that, is that we get to unite behind the person of Jesus and our spirits unite. And I, th- I think that we can see that in community groups. I know that, that my community group has seen that. Our, our conversations go to a, to a new level of depth, and so our relationships go to a new level of depth. So I'd encourage you to, to join us in the book of Mark. It wouldn't, wouldn't take you very long to catch up. We're only in Mark 5. Um, no, I love Mark because it's quick, it's dramatic, it's immediate. He doesn't waste any time, and he kind of says some things that are leave me going, what? Like, it happened like that, and it really challenges the way we see Jesus and the way we see the circumstances in our life. And Mark really kind of paints a black, a black and white picture of, of our response to Jesus and to the circumstances of life. But we can either respond with faith or we can respond with fear. So as I was preparing this week and, and last week, I thought of a, a moment in my life where I had a, a faith or fear moment. I went backpacking a couple years ago with some buddies. We originally, we were supposed to go to Colorado, but because of the wildfires, we had to go to Arkansas, which we thought would be fine. Like, it's not Texas, so it can't be that hot in the summer. Uh, but if you've ever been to Arkansas in the middle of July, it's a sauna. Uh, we didn't know that. But other than that, it was a really well-planned out trip. We had a, we picked a perfect loop. It was about two and a half days. We chose it specifically for its water stops, where we could find water along the trail. We'd have this awesome view on the top of a mountain overlooking the Ozarks and what's supposed to be one of the best sunsets in Arkansas. So we were, we were excited and ecstatic to get out on the trail and to have an adventure. And so we get out on trail, we spend the night, we get a couple hours away from the car and we we spend the night, and we wake up, and we get our packs together, and we start, we start hiking. Uh, we've got about 25-pound packs, but it gets hot quick, and the sun is blaring on us, and we're, we're in the middle of trees and forests. It's like walking through Narnia. So there's no wind, and we're just we're drenched in sweat. And one of our camelbacks has a leak, and so we're running out of water pretty quick. And so within probably a couple hours of the morning, we're out of water. Drenched in sweat, dehydrated, so we stop and look at the map, and we see we see the trail that intersects a creek bed. Part of the reason why we chose this trail. So we we thought to myself, if we can if we can get to this creek, as soon as we get to this creek, we can get water, and we'll be fine. We'll be able to make it. See that night we were going to stay by a lake, Um, and so we walk and we we take we take regular breaks because we're tired and 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 soaked in our own sweat and. We've got ticks all over us, and uh, it's a, it was a mess, and we just keep looking at the map. As soon as we get to this creek bed, we'll be fine. When we start to get to where the, to where the trail declines, we know we're getting close. And as, as we get closer, we can kind of see the rocks of the creek bed, but they're dry. So we're thinking, oh, there's got to be a little trickle at the bottom. As soon as we get there, we'll be fine. And fear slowly starts to creep over me as, as we get closer and closer. I realize there's, there's no water in this creek. And we're in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service. 
and we've still got a good three to four hours of a hike left. Um, so we get to the creek, and as we suspected, it was bone dry. Um, and at this point, we were, we were fearful. Um, couldn't call for help, and we had a long way to the lake. So we look at the map, and there's, a, there's a, a, another creek that about a half mile away ran parallel to our trail. And so we decide to, to shed our packs and, and walk down the creek bed to this other, to this other stream. It was, this was our last chance. This was our only hope. And lo and behold, we get there, and there is, there's about 20 feet on this, on this stream of running clear water. Not above, not below, only right here. So we, we fill up our water bottles, drop the iodine tablets, and never have I been so grateful for a drink of water, and never have I known such a deep need for water until, until that moment. And I think a lot of our lives are lived from one as soon as moment to another as soon as moment. As soon as I get through finals, I can rest. As soon as I get to spring break, I can, I can take it easy. As soon as I graduate college, as soon as I get married, as soon as I have kids, as soon as I have enough money for retirement. And what I found over the few years is that my as soon as moments never live up what I expect them to or they never play out like that and like the creek bed my life is left dry and empty and so today's story Mark 5 is a story of two very different people with a very similar need whose as soon as moments have run out and they, they're left in a desperate place um, so we're going to start in Mark 5 last week Charlie taught on, the, on Jesus calming the storm. So Jesus lands on the other side of the lake after he's calmed the storm, heals a man, and immediately turns and comes back around. It's kind of peculiar. I'm always wondering what the heck Jesus is doing. And so it, it says as soon as he lands back on the other side of the lake, a, a crowd swarms around him. And then this happens. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus... He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So what we need to know about Jairus is that he's a, he's a synagogue ruler. He's prominent in his community. He's wealthy, has power, and may or may not be a Pharisee. But we can safely assume that he's in that same clique. He's in that same group of the Pharisees who we've seen are button heads with Jesus at every turn. It's the source of most of the conflict in Mark to this point. And Jairus, his daughter, is dying. She's sick. And I can imagine that as a wealthy man, he's gone from one doctor to the next, tried one medicine after another, thinking as soon as this one, as soon as we can get this one, my daughter will be healed. And none of them work. So Jairus is left desperate. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he sees hope. He sees a chance. And so he forsakes everything that the community would have to say about him. He gives up worrying about what the Pharisees will say or the repercussions because he's so desperate for Jesus. And it's our, it's our need for Jesus that, that leads us to the Lord. Our faith is ignited by the recognition of our need for Jesus. 
without the realization that we need help and that our life is, is, is empty and will be unfulfilled, we never turn to help. And so Jairus comes in faith to Jesus, and Jesus responds immediately. And that's how he responds with us. And so they head to Jairus' house. And a woman who was there in the crowd, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This woman's life looks a lot different than Jairus's. The bleeding is internal bleeding. For 12 years, she suffered pain and is now fearful of death. Not only is her body falling apart, but she would have been cut off from, from the churches. She wouldn't have been able to go worship in the synagogues. Her friends would have ostracized her because of her uncleanness, and she probably would have lost her family. She would have been alone with no friends, no family, and not able to turn to God. And then she wouldn't be able to have kids. You see, a woman's identity was wrapped around their ability to have children. So this woman literally had nothing. And so she spent everything she had looking for a cure. And I can imagine her saying something like, as soon as I get to this doctor, he can cure me. And as soon as, as, soon as I turn to this doctor, he, he can help. But time after time, the doctors, just like with Jairus' daughter, they fail. And she's left without hope. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between these two branches? Yeah. Yeah, see, this one, this one is blossoming. And, and this, one, this one has nothing. So we could, we could look at this and think of Jairus' life, that his life is together. He's wealthy, has friends, has power, is well-respected. And this branch might be more like the bleeding woman whose life is run dry. There are people in here whose lives look like this branch. Your life is together. You've got what you need. You're okay. And as long as your life doesn't end up here, you'll be just fine. Then there are people whose lives look like this branch. We're like the bleeding woman. We've, we've run out of hope. We're at the end of our rope. And we're thinking as, long, as soon as our lives can get to this, then we'll be fine. But the reality is it's just a matter of time until this one looks like this one because they're both disconnected from their, their life source. And the same goes for us because of a thing we call sin, a disease. And more than our actions, sin is a condition of our heart that infects all of us that causes us to say to God, Thanks, but no thanks. And we go our own way. And we live life from one as soon as moment to the next. Because we're looking for the next thing to fill us, to fill this hole caused by this separation from God, our life source. So it's just a matter of time until sin destroys our life. And we end up dead. And then we literally die and experience eternal death. And so... In our sin, like the bleeding woman, and even like Jairus, we're helpless. 
but we're not hopeless. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. You could also think of it like, as soon as she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately, as soon as she touched his clothes, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So Jesus is being pressed around by, by, by tons and tons of people. Everybody is touching Jesus. And this woman sees Jesus in the crowd. And she's heard about him. So she thinks, if I could just get through this crowd and touch his clothes, I'll be saved. I'll be healed. So she fights her way through. But as she gets closer to Jesus, people are, are packed more tightly. So she has to get down on her hands and knees. And she sees the hem of his robe on the ground and in a desperate act reaches out and in faith grabs a hem of Jesus' robe. (sighs) And she's freed from her suffering. She's healed. And that's what happens for us when we reach out in faith to Jesus as the only one who can save us from, from sin, from this condition, as the only one who can heal us. When we put our trust in Jesus, that's what happens. It's our as soon as moments fade because Jesus has, has paid the price for our sin and has beaten death and we can find healing and salvation in him. So we could think, what if the story for the bleeding woman stopped here? And it could, and it could for us. A lot of times it does. When we put our faith in Jesus, we receive salvation. We go off and do our own thing. What if the woman slid off into the crowd. She easily could have gotten away. But her life still would have been a wreck. She still would have no friends, still would have no family, still wouldn't be able to interact with the church. In fact, when when we receive salvation from Jesus, it doesn't change the circumstances of our life. And if we go our own way, then we're still doing this same thing of saying, thanks God, but no thanks. I appreciate this salvation that I have. I'm going to do it my own way. And so we're still stuck in this cycle of as soon as moments. And Jesus knows that. So he stops everything. This whole possession of the crowd. He delays going to heal Jairus' daughter to find this woman. To find the person who touched him in faith. Because he knows that her life needs to be fully restored. Because Jesus is calling us to more than just salvation. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to transform our eternal life. He wants to transform our lives here and now. Jesus is calling us to more than just, than just salvation. He's calling us to something better, something more significant, to a relationship, to full restoration. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The woman knows that her life 
will not be fixed, that it won't be changed unless there's an affirmation and a confirmation of what has happened on the inside. What has happened on the inside needs to become a reality on the outside. And that's what Jesus does. Notice this woman is unnamed, but now Jesus calls her daughter. He gives her identity in a familial term that gives belonging. And in front of the entire crowd, affirms that she's healed. Now her relationship with God is restored, and she can begin to restore the horizontal relationships with the people in her life. Now, I always wondered what, what is going through Jairus' mind as Jesus stops everything. Remember, it says he heard the whole truth. He listened to 12 years' worth of this woman's suffering. I imagine that probably took a while. So you think Jairus was intently listening and focused on the woman's story and what had happened? Or do you think he's, he's worried and distracted, wondering why Jesus is taking his time with this woman? why Jesus isn't coming to heal his daughter. And possibly with good reason. While Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher? How often do we feel like God is delayed in answering our prayers and coming to our aid? We see him working in other people's lives. We see other people experiencing him, experiencing intimacy with God, experiencing the power of God, but we don't feel it in our own lives. Then we see the world around us that would say, give up, quit. And it just looks easier. It just looks easier to do what everybody else is doing, to live like the rest of the world, to put all our hope in the as soon as moments. And then we hear the voices in our own head. I do. It'd be easier to turn away from Jesus, to just give up. God, God doesn't see. God doesn't hear. But that, that's not true. That isn't true. Jairus' friends would have him give up on Jesus. But he doesn't. And because Jairus perseveres in his faith, it makes all the difference. And then this happens. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus doesn't listen to everybody. Neither should we. So Jairus, now more than ever, needs Jesus. Nobody can help his daughter. Jesus is the only one. So Jairus' need for Jesus, and then Jesus' word, the word of God, sustains him and carries him. So Jesus gets intentional and he gets intimate with the people who continue to have faith. And he takes only a few to Jairus' house. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. 
to what would happen in Jesus' days when somebody would die. They would actually hire people to come and cry and wail and mourn to create an atmosphere of grief. So that's what they've already done. There are already people in there. Jesus went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. It's an interesting statement that Jesus says here. The child's not dead, but asleep. Well, of course she's dead, they say. They laugh. They laugh at him. I think he's really exposing their hearts, revealing their lack of faith. So he puts them all out and continues to get more intentional and more intimate with those who continue in their faith with Jesus. And they go into the room where the daughter is lying. And Jesus takes her by the hand. Another touch of Jesus. And says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And the gentle touch of Jesus, and the gentle word of Jesus, the daughter immediately gets up. And like the bleeding woman, he gives her a very very kind, intimate name. Another story of Jesus is in John 11, and a man named Lazarus, one of Jesus' very good friends. Lazarus has, has been dead in the tomb for four days. And Jesus comes on the scene and stands in front of the tomb, and this is, this is the scene where Jesus weeps, where Jesus weeps. And he stands in front of the tomb and declares to all the people there, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then with a powerful command, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. And out comes Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days. So when we continue to persevere in the faith, when we continue to just believe in Jesus, we see the glory of God. We experience both his intimate touch and his gentleness as he gives us identity and he gives us belonging. And we experience his power as he gives us purpose and he gives us mission. An interesting thought on on depression and and suicide is, is that when people attempt suicide or or successfully or unsuccessfully go through with it, they say that they've lost security and significance. Security and significance undermine our need for food, shelter, and water. They're our deepest needs. So, but a life being transformed by Jesus has both security and significance. When we continue to believe, Jesus gives us security He gives us identity and belonging. And then he gives us a purpose. He gives us a mission, something to be about. Now, I know there are some skeptics in here who would wonder, is is she really dead? Is the girl really dead? How do we know Jesus wasn't, wasn't being accurate when he said she's just asleep? Couldn't she be in a coma? Well, Luke, Luke 8's account 
It says that her spirit returned. Now, I only, the only thing that I can think of is that if her spirit had left, it would mean she was dead. Um, and so the full completion of our faith is to see the glory of God and the dead coming to life. So I wonder this morning where you're at, what your as soon as moment is. Do you feel life running dry and empty? Are you tired of pursuing as soon as moments that fail? Have you, have you not put your faith in Jesus? Maybe that's your, your next step this morning. And if you haven't ever done that, it is as easy as reaching out in faith to touch Jesus. And it, and it is immediate. And if you're here and, and, and you've done that, you may be wondering, why do I not experience the power of Jesus, the intimacy of Jesus? Why do I not feel that? Well, maybe your as soon as moment is again reaching out to Jesus in faith and taking hold and living life his way, and following him. Letting him tell you who you are. And then joining him in his mission as he reaches the world. Being available and accessible to the people around us. I've never experienced the power of God more working in me and through me to bring me to life than when God is working in me and through me to bring others to life. And that's what he's calling us to. So there's a section on your bulletin that says, take two and then I will. And this is a gift for you to reflect, to not leave here and just let what you've heard and what you felt go away, but, but to grab onto something, an opportunity to reach out in faith to touch Jesus. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take a couple minutes. And I'd encourage you to write down your as soon as moments. What are you, what are you putting your hope in? And then what would it take for you to reach out to Jesus in faith? Maybe for the first time, for the second time. And then maybe you feel like God has delayed responding to you. Maybe you're on the edge and feeling like you want to give up. Maybe that's what you write down. Then I would say dive into community. Come into a community group. Be a part of a church and a group of believers and allow people to speak the truth of Jesus to you. If you continue in your faith you will, you will see the glory of God. pray with me. Father, thank you that you love us for who we are and not as we should be. Thanks that you have a bigger hope and bigger dream for our life than the way we're living. That you call us to something more significant. Thanks that eternal life 
can start now. And that the life we live, we can live by faith in the Son of God, and it's that easy. Thanks that you have given us security and significance, a purpose and a mission. Lord, I pray that we would grab on to something, some truth this morning that would allow us to touch Jesus in faith. Lord, that you would send us out and change our lives and give us identity and belonging and purpose and mission. In Jesus' name, amen.